caught a hold of my notes because that's exactly the first thing I was going to say. Just because it's Graduate Sunday doesn't mean the message is intended specifically for graduates. As a matter of fact, although it is uh, in part intended for them, I would suggest that everything I want to bring to you this morning um, is applicable to every single person sitting in this room that has ears to hear. And so um, I'm going to open uh, with prayer and... Um, Then we'll dig in, all right? So bow with me, if you would, for just a moment. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. I ask that you would give me clarity. Um, God, that you would give me um, the exact words that you would have uh, used this morning. And Lord, that um, you would speak to each one of us, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, and that you would, uh, God, encourage us where we need to be encouraged this morning. Um, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity, and just ask for your presence here. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so the title of the message this morning is Knowing is Half the Battle, all right? So Graduate Sunday, why not talk about knowledge a little bit, all right? So let me ask you a few questions, all right? Um, It's not a trivia competition, by the way. Um, It's not a Jeopardy game. I'm not going to be real specific. Um, How many of you still remember some of the math skills that you learned when you were in school? Anybody? A little bit? Okay. Uh, Math was my strong suit, so I'm I'm good there. if you're in the room and you can still read, then you must remember some of your reading skills, right, that you were taught when you were little. So uh, I'm not even going to ask for hands on that one because I don't want to embarrass. Um, how about anything from science? Anybody remember or even use anything they learned in science when they were in school? Oh, some, yeah, okay. Um, history, names, dates, places, some of that's real specific, okay. Um, how about some random obscure game from PE class that you've probably not played since you were in school? Anybody remember any of those? Hey, maybe you could come talk to me about some of those obscure games. I'm always looking for ideas, all right? Um, you know, maybe you remember something in art class or in music you were taught an instrument or something along those lines, right? There's, there's things that we learn when we're in school. And so for some, it was maybe one of those things. For some, maybe it was life skills. I mean, I did mention the last time I got up here that uh, I learned a lot from one of my former teachers about life and about love, uh, how to love your spouse and things of that nature. And so we learn a lot of stuff when we're in school. And yet, I can't help but, but, but consider the fact that there's a lot of things that we need to learn that we don't learn in a school building. I don't know if you guys would agree with me on that one, but there's a lot that we learn that we don't learn from studying math or from practicing science formulas, or whatever the case is, right? And so all of this knowledge that we have, the things that we know, the things that we've learned, that's all good. Um, but today we're going we're gonna to talk about a few things that we can't know because of school education, all right? These are things that we learn uh, through God's Word that help us be spiritually healthy, all right? And so as we spend some time together today, there's a few things that you may need to know, a few things maybe that you already know, and a few things that maybe you're going to be challenged uh, that you just aren't sure of yet. You may not learn anything new this morning, okay? Uh, I'm going to kind of approach this a little differently than the last few times. There's not one set passage that I'm coming from, all right? So you might want to have your Bible page flipping fingers ready, all right? Because you're going to be jumping all over, 
all right? Might want to have those fingers ready to turn some pages, maybe have a table of contents on standby in case you forget where a certain book of the Bible might be, all right? Because we're going to be going through several different places this morning. And here's where we're going to start. I'm going to start you off in Daniel chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Daniel, okay? So the sermon today, knowing is half the battle, we're going to look at some things that we need to know, that we need to be certain that we know, all right? And why these are valuable, all right? And so Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. And so I'm sure most of us know some some, some things about Daniel, maybe know some things about his friends, how they spent some time uh, in a very hot fire, um, you know, where uh, um, an unknown fourth person appeared, right? Um, We got the story of Daniel, we we know that there was a lion involved, that's not the part of the story we're going to get after Okay, but we know some things about this stuff, but there's something I want to dig in a little deeper with this morning. And so we're going to read verses 3 through 5 in Daniel 1. I said all that to give you a chance to find it, all right? Uh, Here we go. Uh, In chapter 1, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And then I'm going to jump to verse 7. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Why in the world... Would I start there? Well, here's point number one, and then I'll connect the two. Point number one, one of the things that we need to know, we need to know our position before God is what we need to know. You need to know where you stand. Are you for him? Are you against him? And so the idea here is to be firm in your identity, all right? If you know your position before God, you know your identity. You know that your identity is in Christ, not in other things. And it's interesting because here in the book of Daniel, Daniel kind of has the opportunity to choose his direction, all right? He could find his identity in his culture and the things of the world. The king, as a matter of fact, what does he do? The king tries to change everything about him. He tries to change what he eats, the language that he speaks, tries to make them understand and learn everything from this specific culture, and tries to make him forget everything he learned growing up in Israel and learning about the Word of God from his time growing up in Israel. He tries to get him to, to forget those things. As a matter of fact, he even tries to change his name. And right, your name is something that identifies you. It's an identifying factor. And so he tries to even change his name and give him a new identity. And so Daniel here is faced with a decision over where he's going to seek to find his identity. Is he going to, to give up on the things that he learned growing up in Israel about who God is? Are we going to grow up and forget about the God that we learned about sitting in this room and any other space that we meet in and choose to go the way of the world and what other people are telling us to do? Or are you going to remain faithful to what you know because you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt? And that's what we see Daniel does. See, he refuses the food and the wine uh, and, and comes up with his own kind of diet plan, right? Uh, and ends up being healthier than all the others. He, he doesn't give in to those things. Later in Daniel's life, he chooses to serve and worship God no matter the cost, even if that meant the possibility of death in a lion's den. He knew 
who he was. He knew his position before God. He knew that his identity belonged in Christ and not in the things of the world. He knew that. He knew that. And so for him, was it difficult? I'm sure it was. But he made the choice. For each of us, we have a choice to make. Do we choose to serve God and be his, or do we choose to be self-seeking and follow our own desires and be influenced by the world? You see, Scripture tells us from the beginning that God created us in his image, and he did so in order to have a perfect relationship with him. That was the intent from the beginning, a perfect relationship between God and man, and it existed for a time. And I don't know about you, no relationship I have is perfect. Not a single one. Not my friendships, not my relationships with my children, not my relationship with my wife, not my relationship with anybody that I know. I have no perfect relationship. If you have a perfect relationship with anybody, you let me know how you figured out how to do that. All right? Let me know, because I would love to find out. I have no perfect relationships, and yet, in the beginning, there was such a thing as a perfect relationship, and God had that between him and man. And yet, when man chose their own way and stopped being obedient to the God that created them, the relationship was severed. It was cut off. It was severed. And the result of that was the dark, broken world that we see around us today. But God wanted to give us the chance for that redemption, the chance to make that relationship right again. And so that's where Jesus enters the picture, y'all. So Jesus comes as God's son. He pays the price for our sins. He redeems us from the penalty of sin, and he restores that broken relationship. He restores it. If you have any relationship that's broken, the God of restored relationships can fix that. He can. It's what he does. See, earlier in the book of 1 John, we read about how Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And so the idea was that his one act was enough to cover the sins of every person that's ever lived. And then what happens? It doesn't mean every person is saved and goes to heaven. What happens is that choice that we have to make. And the choice is given to us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. What we have to do, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So we got to believe and confess. And then as Jesus commanded to believe in him is then to pick up your cross and to follow him. That's the action piece that comes with it, all right? Philippians 2, 10 and 11 tells us that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So eventually, everybody's going to bow. This is where that choice gets even more important. There's a time limit to it. There's a time limit to it. This choice is vital because at some point, every knee will bow. And it's either going to bow whenever you're taken up, when he returns, if that happens while we're here. It's going to happen whenever you pass away. If you've given your life to him first, then it will happen in a means of praise and worship. And it seems like if you fail to make that choice before your time on earth expires, you'll almost be on your hands and knees I mean, this is in my, my mind almost begging for mercy. The mercy that he offered you when you were here and didn't accept. And so you have to make that choice. That's what we have to do. It's what we're called to do. We got to know our position in Christ. So when you belong to Christ, your job doesn't define you. 
Your job title doesn't define you. The amount of money you have doesn't define you. Your relationships don't define you. Your status doesn't define you. Your education and all the knowledge and things that you learned at school don't define you. Your spouse doesn't define you. Your good works and your humanitarian efforts don't define you. When you have Jesus, He defines you. And in Scripture, we're given an awful lot of amazing things about who we are in Christ when we give our life to Him. And so, uh, if you have sermon notes, I'm going to tell you I left a blank there on purpose, all right? And it says, I think it says something like, in Christ I am. So if you're a note filler inner, all right, you're one of those people, which I am, all right, um, there's no slide for this. I'm going to go through some amazing things real quick here that the Bible says that we are in Christ. I just want you to listen for one or two that might be a favorite and fill in your own blank, all right? What is something that sticks out to you? Here's who it says that we are in Christ throughout Scripture. In Christ, we're children of God. In Christ, we are free. In Christ, we are heirs. We are chosen. We are ambassadors. We're citizens of heaven, a new kingdom. We're a new creation. We're justified. We're redeemed. We're known by an almighty God. We're reconciled. We're loved. We're called friends. We're more than conquerors. We're alive. We're no longer condemned. We're adopted as sons. We're righteous. We're sanctified. We're forgiven. And we're made whole. That's what you get when you're in Christ. That is way better than anything you're going to get when you put your identity in anything that exists on this earth. It's way better. And so it's the most important and most rewarding choice someone can make in their life. And while many of us that are in the room are already believers in Jesus, there could be some that need that, just that reminder of who we are in Christ. Because the world makes it seem like following Jesus is bad. But in Scripture, it shows us that following Jesus is truly amazing. It's truly amazing. Number two, here's the second thing we got to know, all right? And I'm going to give a little explanation to this one, too. You got to know your place in the church, all right? And I don't mean this in a negative way because I was aware when I worded it this way there could be this negative connotation that you have a place and you need to stay in your place and whatever else. That's not what I mean, all right? That's not what I mean. But you have a role within the church. Would you agree with that? As a matter of fact, I, I, I tried to not dig in too much from what I spoke on a couple graduation Sundays ago, all right? But a couple years ago I dug into a passage in 1 Corinthians talking about being the body of Christ, and that's kind of the idea that's presented here. In 1 Corinthians 12, it speaks about being the body. And in verse 27, it says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So if you said yes and you made that choice in point number one about knowing your position before God, that you know that you are saved, that you know that you have given your life to him, then this is non-negotiable. All right? Being a part of the church is non-negotiable. It's something that comes with it. You're a part of the body of Christ when you give your life to him. And so you have a place in, within the church. It just says the body has many parts with many individual jobs that work together to keep a body healthy. The church is the same way. We have a lot of people. We got a lot of members. And each one of us has different skills, different gifts, different passions. 
that have to each do their part because what happens if we don't is the church body is not healthy. And so when certain people slack, and I said this a couple years ago and I'm going to repeat it, all right? When, when there are people that come and you come and you sit in here on Sunday and you hear the word of God and you leave and you don't interact with the part of the church body in any other way outside of that, you're dragging down part of the body of Christ. Because you're not holding your weight. And what happens if somebody doesn't hold their weight, right? If you've ever done an assignment, let's take this back to school. You ever had like a group project and somebody didn't hold their weight? What did that mean for you? You had more work to do, right? It's the same kind of idea. If you're a part of the church, you got a role to play. And when you fail to, to hold that up, to, to, to fulfill your role, somebody else has to make up the slack and it puts more strain on them as a part of the church body. And so we got to know our place. And now, there's two different parts of this. You got to know one is your place of service. All right? You got to know your place of service. In 1 Peter 4.10, uh, it says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to do what? To serve yourself? Nope. Use it to serve others. That's why God gave them to you. As good stewards of the varied grace of God. In other words, the gifts that you have been given were given as an act of grace by God himself. And you're to use those to serve one another, not to serve yourself. And so as a part of the church, you're called to be serving one another. That's what we're called to do. In Matthew 20, verse 28, or Mark 10, 45, same thing here. That even as the Son of Man came not to be what? Served. But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that was his purpose he came to serve so if that's what jesus is called to do why would we think we don't have to that would be a ridiculous thought for us to have in romans chapter 12 it tells us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality in galatians 5 13 you are called to freedom only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. See, there's this running theme that as a part of the body of Christ, when you have given your life and you belong to him, you should be serving within the church. So you need to know where that is. In Romans chapter, chapter 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, etc. And so it lists a few of these different things, but let us use them. There's no excuse for not serving in the church. You don't have to have some sort of special skills to serve and to be able to share the gospel. It doesn't take a, a, somebody with extra special skills. And I can confidently say that to you because, one, I don't believe that I have a whole lot of those. Um, but, two, because of Acts 4, verse 13. It says this, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. See, Peter and John were doing amazing things for the gospel. They were sharing the message of Christ all around, and they were just regular, ordinary people. And so if you feel like a regular, ordinary person, perfect. God wants to use you. If you feel like you're high and mighty above everybody else, God may have to humble you, but he's still going to use you. So we're called to know our place of service. As a matter of fact, I, I try to be as intentional as possible. So if you have that little sermon note sheet, if you flip it over on the back, there's a list of ministries of Hazelwood Baptist Church. 
I'd encourage you, if you aren't connected in a place of service at this church, and you're a part of this church body, that you seek to find one of those that maybe you can connect to and, uh, and reach out to us, because we'd love to get you plugged in somewhere, because um, that's something that we're called to do as believers in Christ. Here's the second thing that we got to know is uh, our place of learning, all right? We can't ever say, and, and I know as a teacher, it was always, your goal is to be a lifelong learner. Anybody ever heard that phrase before, lifelong learner? Yeah, well, we got to be that way about Scripture, too, not just about other things in life. So we can never get to a point where we say that we've learned as much as we can learn. As a matter of fact, in Acts 2.42, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Number one, it says they devoted themselves, right? And so if something's devoted, it's like, no, I'm all in on that. That's something I have to have. I can't live without that. And so, and what do they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. See, they had someone teaching them so they could learn. And so for some of us in this room, we might be like, hey, you know what, I show up on Sunday morning and I learn from whatever is said from the pulpit. And while that's great, let's be honest, the early church didn't meet just once a week. All right? So when they were devoted to that teaching, it was a constant. And so to, to assume that, that we can learn as much as we need to learn by simply being here for 30 minutes of a sermon on a Sunday morning would be a failure to learn to the best of our ability because we're called to do more, all right? This could look like a personal Bible study time, you being in the Word daily, learning. It could be attending a Sunday school class. It could be attending some sort of a home life group that meets somewhere else. It could be just gathering with other believers on a regular basis at a restaurant and talking about Jesus. It, it, it can look a lot of different ways, but we have to constantly be learning, I came across this quote that I want to share with you. No clue who it's from, but just know it's not from me, all right? So uh, here's what it says. The capacity to learn is a gift. The ability to learn is a skill. The willingness to learn is a choice. I said, man, that hit me. So I was like, man, am I really willing to learn, no matter who it's from, okay? No matter who it's from. Because I got to be honest, um, my pride gets the best of me at times, and I'm just going to... I'm just going to out myself in front of all of you right now. My pride gets the best of me sometimes. And there will be times, and I'm not saying, by the way, this is not anything to Louie or Jim, okay? But between here and other churches I've been at or different things, there have been times I've sat under the teaching of somebody and I'd be like, there's no way I can learn anything from this person. I've, 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 I've experienced that. I'm sure I'm the only one in the room that's experienced that sentiment. Oh, so, so some of y'all are doing it right now, like, we ain't going to learn it from you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, it's that idea. We can have that, that, that pride that creeps up in us sometimes. And I've been there, and I've done that, and it's not okay. Because the Lord can use anyone to teach me anything that I need to know. And I need to be open and willing. In Proverbs 4, verse 5, it says, Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words or turn from them. Get wisdom and understanding. Do not forget my words, the words of Scripture, or turn from them. Romans 15, verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. So the Scriptures were written to teach us with the ultimate goal of us having hope. Spend time in the Word when you're feeling hopeless. 
That's what it's going to give you. It's going to give you the hope that you need. Theodore Roosevelt put it this way, and I love this because it connects really well with the idea of education and learning. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Love it. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more. It's worth more than any type of education you can get. Because to know the Bible, to know the Word of God, is to know God. It's to know who He is. And so through, through these scriptures, we can see that there's an importance with learning, of continuing to grow in our faith and knowledge of Christ. There's no place for complacency in your walk with Jesus. And so where are you being taught the Word of God? That's my question for you. Outside of a service on Sunday morning. Where are you being taught the Word of God? Like I said, could be a personal study, could be a Sunday school class, a life group, something. But maybe be intentional about finding one of those areas so you can constantly be learning and growing in your faith. Number three, my last point that I'm going to give you all today. Know your people for discipleship. All right? This is one that I think uh, we lack as believers. All right? And I want to dive in and explain this a little bit better here in a moment. All right? In Matthew 28, we've got the, the passage of the Great Commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so discipleship is this church buzzword that's been going around for several years, and it seems like everybody has a different definition of it, which is kind of weird. You know, you'd think something so important that's talked about so much uh, in Scripture would be a pretty straightforward definition, and yet it seems like we all have a different definition. Here's the definition that I want to, to offer you, all right? Uh, to disciple someone simply means to make them more like Jesus, so if you're going to disciple someone, it just means to make them more like Jesus. But by the time they're done spending time with you, they know Jesus just a little bit more. And so what in the world does that look like? How, how, how do we do that? What does that mean? As a matter of fact, for the last however many, 13, 14 years, however long Pastor Jim was here, his, his goal was to be a disciple-making church. And he tried to get everybody on board with that vision. And sometimes we fail to get on board with that vision. I'm just going to be honest. And this was an element that was missing. All right? So it would be silly to assume, as I've already mentioned, that showing up on a Sunday morning, singing a few songs, and listening to a sermon is going to be the most effective way to make you more like Jesus. They're good things. They will help you become more like Jesus, but it's not the most effective way. Because you listen to somebody talk to you for 30 minutes. You don't even get to interact all that much. And then you leave. It's not the most effective way. It takes personal relationships with other believers. Is what it takes. Personal relationships. Um, in the book of Titus chapter 2, uh, which I love this passage. As a matter of fact, when I taught in public schools, we had to have mission statements as teachers for our classrooms. And I used part of this verse as my mission statement because I said, you know what, they're telling me I can't use scripture in school, but it's my mission statement. They can't tell me no because they said I got to have a mission statement, right? So I kind of skirted the rules a little bit. Uh, but you know what, the number of teachers and other people that came in and looked at it and were like, that's amazing, I was like, it's worth it. It set up a lot of conversations. But here's the passage. It's Titus 2, verses 3 through 8. Like I said, part of this was my mission statement, but not all. You can figure it out. 
Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Sorry, I'm reading a different version, but follow up there anyway, all right? Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. I love that passage so much. But what you see in this passage is the idea that our more seasoned believers are supposed to be teaching and discipling and helping our younger believers along in their faith, both men and women. This passage is talking about our role and what it means to disciple people. And so we see this here. In 2 Timothy 2.2, it's a familiar verse with you, and I want to hit on this one because I think it's vital for us. You then, my child, so you've got Paul speaking to Timothy, all right? Calls him my child. Be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you've heard that verse, you've probably heard that there are four generations represented here. All right? And so here's what that means. Paul is teaching Timothy. He's discipling Timothy. He's helping Timothy become more like Jesus. And what does Timothy do with that knowledge? He keeps it to himself? What's he commanded to do with it? Commanded to take it to other people and trust it to other faithful men. So take those things that you're learning from me and go teach it to somebody else. See, what happens is sometimes we have somebody teaching us that's helping us and discipling us, and we break the chain because we don't share with anybody else. That happens. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. So I don't know if you see this or not or if you catch it, but it's this continuous chain that's supposed to continue going over and over and repeating so that the whole entire church body can be discipled by somebody. So with that, I've got two questions for you. Uh, The first one is, who are you discipling? And so here's what that means. Who are you helping to become more like Jesus? And this is a very serious question. Matter of fact, I left you a spot so you could write some names. Are you intentionally pouring into the life of somebody else to help them become more like Jesus? If you're Paul, who's your Timothy? That's the better way to put it. All right? you're Paul, who's your Timothy? Who's that person that you look at and say, you know what, I'm intentionally reaching out to that person for the purpose of helping them become more like Jesus. If you don't have that person, you need that person. As a matter of fact, let's hit the second one with this. Who's discipling you? So who in your life is making you become more like Jesus? If you're Timothy, who's your Paul? Who's that person that's looking at you and saying, I'm going to encourage you on a daily basis to walk as Jesus walked, to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved, to be more like him? Who is that for you? I think it's a valid question, and it's a difficult one. We have to be a Paul to somebody. We have to be a Timothy to somebody. And I'll say this, the times in my life where I didn't have those types of relationships were some of the hardest times of my life. 
They were some of the darkest times that I've walked through. Are the times where I didn't have somebody investing in me. Because that's what it is, it's an investment. You're investing in the life of somebody else. When you're, if you don't, have never had that, I'm going to tell you right now, you're missing out. And that you need that. You know, I did a little survey of some other people in ministry to find out why do you think people don't pursue these kinds of relationships? Because for some of us in this room, you've probably never even thought about having a relationship like that. Where it's like a one-on-one, a one-on-two type of personal relationship. Here's some of the answers I got. People don't pursue these relationships because there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of rejection. There's a lack of intentionality. This one hurt. Discipleship isn't modeled for them to see. Said, man, if we as church leaders or people within the church aren't modeling what that looks like, man, how do we expect people to do it? People are independent and they're afraid to ask for help. Yeah, that happens. We treat discipleship like it's a compartmentalized activity. Another reason, discipleship takes commitment, faithfulness, hard work, and self-discipline, and people aren't willing to do those things. Wow, people aren't willing to be committed work hard or be disciplined. Man, the things that these people see. Because we live in an instant culture, we don't want to work hard for an extended period of time. Do you, any of y'all see that? We want things like this to just happen. That's why we got remote controls. That's why you got a phone that can find anything you want on it. Because we want instant gratification on things. But these types of relationships take hard work for extended periods of time. And here's the other one. People aren't ready for real, transparent relationships. They aren't ready to be real and transparent with people. I hope that you have people in your life that you can be that way with. We're called to have people in our life that we can be that way with. We're called to. It's going to help us grow in our faith. And so with that, here's some simple, practical suggestions of what that takes and what it looks like. All right? To be involved in these types of relationships, you need to be intentional You need to be willing to give of some of your time, and you need to be committed. It's committed to Jesus and the gospel, and it's committed to serving and helping others grow. It may take you swallowing your pride and asking somebody to be that discipler for you. You know what? I need somebody to pour into my life, and I'm going to go find somebody, and I'm going to pursue that, and I'm going to ask them if they would be that for me. You may have to do that. At the same time, you might need to be seeking someone out that you can make an effort to help be like Jesus. You see somebody that's struggling, you know what, I can be an encourager to that person and help them be more like Jesus. Seek those people out. Seek those relationships out. It may look like staying in contact through phone calls or text messages to encourage someone and hold them accountable. It might look like meeting periodically, once a week, every other week, once a month. It may be doing a Bible study together or simply meeting to talk about life. But these relationships are vital to our Christian walk because they help us grow. And without them, we lack some of the encouragement that we're called to as a body of Christ. So this morning, there's some things we got to know. You got to know where you're at. Do you know Jesus or do you not? you got to know your place within the church. Do you have a place of service? Do you have a place of learning? Do you have these things that you're called to have? And do you have people for discipleship on both fronts? Do you have a Paul and a Timothy for yourself and your life?
So we're going to close. We're going to pray here in just a second. Um, I called it knowing is half the battle. In all reality, knowing Jesus wins the battle. But at the same time, when we know these things, it still takes some action. And so as we close today, here's my questions for y'all to consider. Does anyone need to take action on any of these things? Does somebody need to take the next step, give your life to Christ so you're assured of who you are in Christ with all the amazing things the scripture says we are? Do we need to take action to find our place within the church to serve and to learn? Or does someone need to take action to seek someone out to intentionally disciple or be discipled by them? That's my challenge to you this morning. So I ask that you'd consider those things. Uh, Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the opportunity this morning. Um, Lord, I know that these things seem simple. Lord, as a matter of fact, nobody in this room might have learned a thing. And yet, God, I know that you have a purpose for your people. You have a purpose for what you put on our hearts. And God, you've got a special place for each one of us. Lord, this morning I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts. God, that you'd help us to to understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, what that looks like, what it means to live daily discipling others. And God, that you would continue to make yourself known in mighty ways to people in this room that have never given their life to you. God, we thank you that you give us your word so that we can know you more and we can know you better. We ask this in your name. Amen.